There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to another Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Um, brilliant to be back again. Um, love being on the show every week, and uh, we're over seven years now. It's just incredible. Um, today, I'm going to be introducing you to a fabulous guest, and, uh, and I'd say a, fr- a good friend now, uh, Gene Early. We're going to talk about best self-leadership. And before I introduce you to Gene, though, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week. Um, I interviewed Jeff Bamber, the CEO of Digme Fitness, which is a, a concept that is really uh, growing in its popularity. It's based around spin classes and things like that. Jeff happened to also be a 10 times Ironman and two times world champion um, Ironman um, competitor. Uh, and um, we had a really great conversation about executive health and fitness and how uh, companies really need to take uh, and support their employees um, in their fitness and maybe make it part of their culture. And it really helps if the leaders, for example, um, you know, adopt uh, good, uh, healthy uh, principles because you get so much more energy and productivity out of people. And I think the thing that also stuck out in my mind from that meeting was really a conversation which uh, was of the essence that actually – you know, a lot of people say, I just don't have time for exercise. But actually, it's not time that we're usually lacking. It's motivation. Uh, so um, listen to that interview and uh, gain some motivation and uh, really take the time to look after yourself and your employees. Uh, so much benefit from it. So today we're going to talk about best self-leadership and about some cutting-edge principles. And if you're a leader who kind of really cares, and I hope you are, that you're somebody who really cares about making a difference, or you're you know, wanting to step up at some point and really be a leader, um, you may be a leader in, in many different ways, not just in an organization, but in your community and that sort of thing as well. But do you want to be the best self-leader that you can possibly be? And would you like to leave a really positive impact and legacy on the world? Now, I first met my guest, uh, Leaders Quest partner, Gene Early, actually, when I joined a Leaders Quest in Kenya. And I'll never forget uh, being um, experiencing being with a Maasai tribe um, near the Maasai Mara um, in Kenya in the sort of Great Rift Valley area, and uh, something I'd always dreamed of as a child. And I can remember having really great conversations with Gene, you know, into the early hours, sitting by a campfire with, uh, with a, a tribe of uh, amazing Maasai who've got an incredible sort of leadership uh, culture, an incredible community. We can learn loads from them. And so it really sits in my mind. And, and we had a really deep and insightful conversation, and several of them while we were there. Now, um, Gene is actually uh, somebody who's really renowned for his wisdom. In fact, in the Leaders Quest community, being gene is actually a verb. Uh, and it is um, because Gene's able to quickly analyze, you know, the most complex of personalities and I have to say, including mine. And uh, this is not surprising, though, when you consider his background. Uh, Gene was involved very early on uh, with uh, NLP. He introduced the first NLP training institute in Europe. That's a uh, neuro-linguistic programming, which uh, some of you may will have heard of. And uh, he helped develop NLP institutes in six European countries. He went on and became a vice chancellor at the University of the Nations in Hawaii. Very smart, beautiful place to live. And then he went on, he got a PhD in leadership and organizational development. Um, he uh, was involved with setting up and establishing a, a, a 
Genomic Health, uh, which is uh, an amazing organization which um, uh, created tests um, around uh, sort of genes and genetics, and maybe have the chance to talk about that in Silicon Valley. And uh, today he is a partner in a, an organization called Leaders Quest that we'll find out a little bit more about. He works internationally. He works with startups, corporates, companies in transition. He's a published author. He's got a really inspiring heart and family-centered approach. Um, so let's have a chat with Gene and find out about some of the key principles today uh, that are really important to think about when it comes to self-leadership. So huge welcome to Gene Early. Well, thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. And uh, it's a little bit like being around the Maasai campfire again. I, I, uh, I'm amazed that we can do this uh, online and uh, be still so connected. And I think that's, that's really great. You know, thing to think about. I mean, we, I don't know if, you know, if you sat there before, you know, people are listening, you've sat around a campfire at night and had one of those kind of real special moments. And, uh, and we did. I, I, don't, I remember I read an article which I just put onto a blog post on chriscooper.co.uk. If you go into the news, you'll see that Gene wrote a beautiful article about. Uh, our experiences and the leadership lessons from the Maasai. And it was almost as though time stood still, Gene, wasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was It was magical. Um, I mean, the Maasai have such an incredible leadership culture, so it was, it was not difficult for you and me to kind of get into conversation from there and then just to go to so many different places. And kind of the stars over us and this enormous fire in front of us and the Maasai warriors dancing around it and then bringing us into the dance and I would just say it's spectacular. So, uh, yeah. It's amazing. And just making sure those, uh, uh, the, the hyenas that were wandering <laughs> right. at distance around the fire, they were they were keeping, keep staying at guard at night, weren't they, while we were sleeping on kind of um, reed Same beds. Or, beds. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you live in, uh, in Virginia. That's uh, right. Mm-hmm. It just conjures up uh, beautiful landscapes and, um, is, is that somewhere that you did you originate from there? Or just, just no, I'm a, originally from Memphis, Tennessee, but I, I'm a bit of a nomad. We we have lived all over the world. We've lived in. Uh, I went to school in North Carolina. Lived in Washington D.C. and New York, and worked there. Married my wife, who's Danish, so lived in Copenhagen. We lived in Hawaii for ten years. Lived in Singapore for a year. Lived in Oxford for a year and a half, doing a Ph.D. Moved to Silicon Valley, and now we've moved to be be close to grandkids. Uh, we have three grandsons. Uh, who live here in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in and, and the Shenandoah Valley, and um, just we just love it. It's so beautiful, and it's fabulous to be close to family uh, uh, and to be involved in their, in their life on a, on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's you're talking about the connection around the campfire, and mm-hmm. the connection is really important in life. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, wonderful if you've got your family close uh, with you as well and I know you go to enormous lengths with them as well I remember you talking about an experience for one of your grandchildren with me mm. that you'd uh, and you'd actually gone over to the country in question and planned it um, I think it was, was it a trip to London that one and you that was to London it. yeah that's our oldest grandson I, I told them when they turned 13 we have three boys uh, and when they turned 13 I told them I would take them anywhere they wanted to go in the world and Lucas our oldest wanted to he was a Doctor Who fan, and so we, we plotted out a, uh, a trip to London where we, he went to all the Doctor Who things he could do, to the TARDIS and to the museum and everything. And then we did, we did London um, in uh, just a fabulous kind of grandfather-grandson bonding experience. And I've got two more coming, so we'll see where they want to go. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I'm kind of intrigued you know, with your 
you know, your early life and, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, you grew up in Memphis. That's, uh, I think, yeah. of Elvis Presley when I think Absolutely, of, yeah. I, think, I think of Memphis. And, you know, what were the inspirational moments that really led to this passion that you've got for people and for leadership? Well, I would say there are a couple of things. One was, uh, like all, all, I think, young children, particularly boys, I had a hero. My hero was Davy Crockett. And that was back in the era when, when Walt Disney put Fess Parker on the TV, and TV was pretty unique. And I was so passionate about Davy Crockett because he was from Tennessee. He said he killed a bar, meaning a bear when he was only three, and so I was young, and I thought, killed a bear, and he's from Tennessee, and got to wear a coonskin cap, and I was really inspired, and it was, I would say it's the first time, gave me the first opportunity to really step out where we had a kindergarten play um, in which one of the roles was going to be Davy Crockett, and Davy Crockett was going to get to sing the ballad of Davy Crockett, and this was a little shy me Sitting in, sitting in the circle of our kindergarten and hearing my teacher say this role was available. And I, without knowing it, my hand went up. And I said, that's me. And my mother could not believe that I had volunteered to sing on stage in front of this whole audience. And it was like, to me, it was kind of like, you know, that's where you step into, you know, your identification with, with what you're really passionate about. And um, so I would say that was one. I'd say... There was a quarterback for the Memphis State Tigers, a football team, a university football team there that I really loved. His name was James Earl Wright. And I can remember standing on the sidelines and having him kind of rushing toward the side, see him coming toward me like a train coming toward me. He's really excellent quarterback. And uh, I just thought, oh, wow, you know, incredible. I'd, I'd really like to be like him. And clearly, you know, quarterbacks lead the team. And so there was this kind of inspiration there. And yeah, you know, and also my dad, you know, he coached my my uh, youth sports teams. And I, I remember one time I hit a home run and seeing him on third base as I was rounding the third base, running to home to, to make the home run. I saw his face and it was just like, there was just like such, such pride in my heart because I felt like I wanted to make him proud. And, you know, making a home run was doing that clearly. Um, and then finally, I had an amazing uh, junior high basketball coach who took us to the city championship and taught me everything I knew, which ended up resulting in being named Old Memphis in high school and uh, as a basketball player. And I, but I attribute that to his coaching and the inspiration of that. So I've had great leaders um, as models uh, for me growing up. Fantastic! Yeah, those uh, yeah those moments in life when you're younger, there's a few little triggers, isn't there? And uh, yeah, absolutely, it's, yeah. it's great when you when you see a child as well, just take be brave and um, you know mm-hmm. put their foot forward. I I took um, my son a few weeks ago. He went we, one of my show guests, Mark Beaumont, um, cycled around the world and um, took forty days off the world record. Mm-hmm. And, uh, amazing man and. We, we met up with him and we went to see him speak and 250 people in the audience. And my, my youngest, so my eldest son who's 12, who's normally quite quiet and reserved. He, he asked me a question. It was question and answer time. And I'd, I'd already asked Mark a question. I said, well, ask him. And he put his hand up and in front of 250 people, they brought the microphone and he asked him the most brilliant question. And, uh, you know, that was a real moment I will never forget. I was mm. so proud. Mm. And uh, I know he was afterwards as well. And he got about 20 minute response, which was. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So great special moments. And you've, um, we should talk a little, just a little about leadership.
Leaders Quest. We've uh, we've had Leaders Quest uh, representative of the founder Lindsay Levin was the first person I interviewed, and then a great interview with Simon Hampel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you're you, you you know got lots of talent in Leaders Quest and you've oh, yeah. some things. Um, yeah. Just just remind us what Leaders Quest do and you know why yeah. the organisation's unique. So we're a social enterprise, and we're very much like you in your podcast. We are committed to working with. Uh, leaders of all types, uh, both global CEOs and their boards, as well as grassroots leaders, um, particularly in India. Um, But working with leaders uh, with the idea of combining purpose and profit or purpose and benefit. Um, And we believe that uh, we're able to bridge that spectrum uh, from the the most globally established to the, you know, to slum dwellers, but who have, you know, passion and vision for transforming their communities. Um, so we've trained, for example, 1,200 uh, grassroots leaders uh, in, in India. But what we do is we create experiential learning journeys. We take people out on, you know, out of their comfort zone into new uh, contexts, new venues, and oftentimes that's foreign countries. Um, or it could be cities in in their in their own country where they're they're not used to going, and we take them across the spectrum of of um, different sectors of society in order to expose them to new ideas, innovative leaders, organizations that are just doing incredible things. And and our purpose really is to transform individual mindsets, and organizational cultures, and and ultimately we're not there yet, but ultimately. Um, systemic transformation for global networks. Um, and we're now working in three or four of those areas. But uh, we can't say we've got the results yet, but we are on the journey. So we're all about that, that kind of transformation at multiple levels, at the personal level, at the organizational level, and at the global level. Excellent. Excellent. And one of the, you know, one of the, you know, an area that I know that you you know, that is very important is clearly is leadership. And, mm-hmm. you know, today we're going to talk about best self-leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're also known for your sort of deep thinking around this area. And sort of what, what is best self-leadership to you? Oh, gosh, what a, <laughs> I think it's such a great question. And it's just, it's amazing. So my reference for best self-leadership is Robert Quinn's book, which is, which is called um, Building the Bridge as You Walk on It. Uh, it's just a, the best leadership book. Um, I've ever read, and I've read a lot of them. But he has a model which talks about the normal state of leadership and the fundamental state of leadership, which we call best self-leadership. And basically the idea in best self-leadership is there, there are four integrated components. One is purpose and vision. One is alignment. One is other focus, and one is openness. So, And it goes in that cycle. So when you're clear on your purpose and vision, uh, you're able to endure the obstacles. You're able to, to solve the problems that come up. Um, alignment has to do with the, the congruence between your values and your behavior. So does your behavior express the values that you articulate for yourself and that you hold? And do you have a way of aligning them? Because we all have what, what Quinn calls hypocrisy gaps or integrity gaps. You know, we say one thing, but we do something else. But how do we align that? So bringing alignment into our leadership is really critical. Um, And then other focus is really about going beyond self-interest. And that only is possible, I think, if you have purpose and alignment, because you have got to have the energy and overflow to be other focused. You don't have that if you're not aligned. If you're constantly looking to other people to, to determine, am I okay? Can I do this? What will they say? 
it's hard to be other focused. But when you have that alignment uh, founded on purpose, you can be other focused. And that is where you start to get really magical results. And then finally, the fourth one is openness or curiosity, which has to do with the ability to to be adventurous, to explore, to receive feedback. It's very difficult for people to receive feedback. And it's one of the principles we talk about in Leader's Quest is apply to self. So you get feedback and you go, oh my goodness, that really, that hurts. I thought I was doing a good job and maybe I wasn't. And how do I integrate that and how do I learn? Um, so those are the four components that I, I systematically think about and use um, as, a, as kind of my North Star for best self-leadership. Excellent. Great, great answer there. We've just got about a minute and a half to commercial break. And we're going to talk about three sort of cutting edge areas. We've got about a minute now. And what are the three key principles, top line? And we'll talk about them after the break. Oh, one, start with yourself. Transform yourself and you transform the systems of which you're a part. Two, consider the system. This This is a systemic orientation that it's not just intervening in one part of the system, but recognizing when you change one part, you change the whole. And then the third is use that best self-leadership model to navigate your leadership uh, challenges. So purpose, alignment, focus, other focus, and openness as keys. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we're going to talk about um, some, some key principles of uh, self, best self-leadership. And uh, you want to stay around because uh, these are uh, the thought-provoking, profound, they make a difference. Uh, so do join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk 
Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Jean Early, a partner from Leaders Quest, and we're talking about best self leadership. and And before the break, uh, we we obviously uh, we talked about um, some of the sort of principles, uh, and uh, we talked about uh, Robert Quinn's book about building the bridge as you walk on it, and some of the principles in that. And uh, we started to talk about transforming yourself and considering the system and uh, really using best self-leadership. I'd like to focus in particularly now on best self-leadership. And uh, in chatting with Jean, uh, Jean shared with me three sort of components or or, or important um, elements to really consider about self-leadership. So I'd like to focus in there. The first one that you and I talked about, which I thought was really interesting and, and it really resonated with me and some things I've been thinking about of, of late is, is belonging. Mm. And I just want to ask you, Gene, sort of, should a leader try to fit in, uh, say, to an organization to belong or should they choose to belong to themselves? Yeah, you know, I don't think it's an either-or kind of question. I, I think that, um, my again, I love references and resources, and my reference for this one is Brene Brown's latest book called Braving the Wilderness, um, which is is all about belonging and the courage to stand alone, um, which, in you know, we talked about alignment. It's one of those components of the best self-leadership model, and this book kind of is the expression of alignment. It's like, how do you find your best self? And she makes this powerful distinction between fitting in and belonging. And I, what, one of the things I discovered was that, that for much of my life until very recently, I had tried to fit in, in order to belong. And that does not work. You, you keep doing, you keep doing it. And it just, you just never feel like you're accepted. And what I discovered was very much consistent with her writing and her research that I had to belong to myself first. And the consequence of that was that I was able to set, to create two, uh, two categories of relationships. One is relationships with people with whom I belong and, and characterizing that type of relationship is um, that I want to be with them and they want me to be with them. And fitting in, it's where I want to be with them and they, they could care less. I mean, if I'm there, that's great. If I'm not there, that's not so great. And each there's an appropriate context for each of those. But knowing the difference has made a real difference. And I recognize that as a leader, um, I have a responsibility to create an environment where people feel that they belong, that they sense, yes, I want you here. And yes, I want to be here. Um, and that is the foundation of great culture. Um, if you have a culture where fitting in is the norm, where you go, you know, what is my boss going to say? Or, you know, what are my colleagues going to say? And can I make a mistake? And all, all those dynamics actually are a drain, or you might, you might even call them a tax on the system. And so um, making the distinction as a leader and then, and then developing the skills and talents necessary to create an environment where, where belonging is just a natural expression of the culture, that is critical. Um, because one of the things we know is, first of all, you need to belong to yourself, then you need to belong to community in order to flourish. And in an in a organizational context, that is that distinguishes great companies, great organizations from less great. Um, and so part of that too is clearly, you know, just relationship-based uh, emotional intelligence. 
And so, you know, for anybody listening, if as a leader, you know, we, you know, either experientially or intellectually, you know, the need to develop emotional intelligence to be a great leader. Um, and all of that contributes to, to the bil- ability to belong uh, and not just fit in. And, and I think what you also, you're saying within that as well, there's, there's that component of emotional intelligence, but also I think you, what I was taking from what you were saying is that those organizations who are, are really successful, um, they allow people to also belong to themselves. So yep. to allow perhaps they, yep. their uniqueness mm-hmm. and their talents yep. and maybe their, right. the way they choose to dress and, and choose to behave, they, they rather than trying to mold them into one, into one shape, um, exactly. Or a stick of rock, you know, the same exactly the uh, exactly the same right the way through it. So everybody's a clone. They're they're really yeah. playing to that individuality. Well, and you know, the the Gallup organization has done such good research on on um, employee engagement, and and the percentage of of fully engaged employees is very low. But what you find is that that in companies where employees are highly engaged. That you that there is a greater sense of belonging. It's not always perfect, but there's a greater sense of belonging. And the other bit of research that's relevant here is that that uh, shows that employees leave their managers. They don't leave their company or their organization. Um, and employees stay for their managers as well. So great leaders actually attract people. And and uh, you know, there's a just I, I love theory and practice. The the last little point I'm here is that. There's, there's work done in attachment theory, and attachment theory related to leadership is, <clears throat> will you be there for me when I need you in a crisis? And for leaders who are able to be there for their employees, when there's a crisis in the employee's life or working career, um, they will maintain and retain those employees much more greatly, and they will get more engaged employees. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Uh... You know some of those statistics around, um, you know, people, uh, the impact of uh, you know of your boss on whether you stay or go. And I think um, mm-hmm. yeah. there's, a, there's a statistic. I think it's um, 35% of people would forgo a major pay rise to see their boss fired. And, uh, <laughs> right, right. and I love that. And so I say to people, would you, would you would you rather be in that sort of uh, scenario? Would you rather people forgo a major pay rise to see you stay? Um, right. I know where I'd rather be. <laughs> exactly. Wow. So what are the, um, there's some considerations, isn't, isn't there, for the kind of self-belonging? And, um, and, and I, I loved, after you mentioned Brené Brown's book, um, I, um, Braving the Wilderness, I've listened to it on Audible and I've really, really engaged with it. And, you know, some considerations, isn't there, to, to really, to lead, uh, to lead a kind of brave journey in this, uh, this uh, approach to self-belonging? Yeah, it's, I mean, she has a core model where she, um, she talks about boundaries and reliability, accountability, vault, which is really about confidentiality, integrity, non-judgment, generosity. So, I mean, that's probably more than we have time to actually dive into today. But, um, you know, my concern, I was asked uh, just yesterday, I was working with, with a group and they asked me about this and say, well, you know, how do you, how do you do this? How do you do the inner work? that allows you to belong to yourself so that you can show up as a leader that makes a difference uh, with those people you're leading. And I just kind of came up with this, kind of my own personal experience, you know, it starts with awareness. You know, it's like realizing that, wait a second, you know, I'm trying to fit in here, it doesn't work, 
what I really want is I want to belong. Okay, so that's just awareness. That didn't solve the problem. It just it just kind of crystallizes the problem. And then the second one is really having a reference experience. So I remember the I remember the first time that I felt I truly belonged, and that that was my junior high basketball team. I talked about my coach. The way he looked at me, and he said, "Listen, there are only three shots I want you to practice." You know, and it was a it was a hook shot, it was a shot from the corner, and it was a shot from the, the wing. He said, there are only three shots. I don't want you practicing anything else. I want you to practice that. He was so precise that he looked at me in the eye and he would and it was just like penetrating. And I knew that he wanted the very best for me. He was not doing this for him. He was doing this for me and for the team and whatever. And so it was a reference experience. And I knew I belonged in, in on that team. But then the question goes, well, that's only an experience. That's not actually a way of being. And so then the the next thing was I actually had to develop the skills of doing the inner work. And I've spent many years doing that. And I know many people have done that. But it's like being aware of what triggers you emotionally to want to fit in or to know that you belong and being able to work with that. So, uh, for example, making the distinction between is this relationship one where I simply will fit in or is it where I'll belong? And for many people in work, it's, it's fitting in. Well, that's okay. But just know that that's what you're doing. You know, don't expect to belong if you're in a context that says fit in. On the other hand, if you're in a context that says belong, don't try to fit in. Be yourself. So that's uh, doing the inner work. And then, and then get back to Brene Brown and go, you got to have the courage to stand for who you are. Well, how do you get to that place? Well, you take a risk. And you take a risk with what I call small wins. So you, you, know, you don't pick the most challenging but you don't pick your boss necessarily or you don't pick the the board of directors if you're ceo you, you pick something else to start with and then you build your confidence from there so that you begin to stand for who you are and you and then you start to invite others into that space with you and so you create your community around um, that authenticity excellent and, and if and if it feels you're bending yourself to fit into a tribe which yeah you know, you're you're so you're des- you're wanting to belong, but actually, you still feel a bit of an outsider. Is there a you know a fundamental question uh, here as to you know do you bend yourself further, or actually are you in the wrong tribe, and maybe you should consider finding the right tribe for you? I, I think that's a that's a really profound question because finding your tribe releases who you are as a as an individual. And there, there are different ways to do it. Sometimes we're fortunate and we just kind of land in our tribe. And I would say that's what happened for me with my junior high basketball team. That was a, that was a short period of time, but it was without question. For that period of time, it was a tribe. At other times, it's where you find out that you belong to yourself and then you attract your tribe. So those are two things. If you put that in an organizational context, you know, where I would go is, you know, if, if I'm CEO of the company, I'm going to go, the culture of my company is going to be directly related to who I am. That, that if, if I am belonging to myself, then I will create a culture that belongs. And if I don't, if I'm scared, insecure, you know, if, I ha- if I'm isolated and have no relationship where, where of accountability, where people are supporting me just for who I am, not because I'm a great CEO, you know, then that's the kind of culture I'm going to create. So, um, you know, the, is there is there a principle, right? Um, you have to make that decision, but I don't think you start there. I think you start by 
the small wins and go commit to belonging and then do whatever you need to do to create reference experiences where you do belong. And as you do that, you become motivated. I want more of this. And there may come a point at which where you say, I have to leave the company because it's just not healthy for me. But it may also be that you actually transform the culture of your company. Yeah. I've seen that. I mean, as the, as the VP of organizational development and HR and genomic health, I saw that happen. I saw people change their team because of the way that they um, change themselves. That's really, really interesting. I, mem- I remember talking to um, the, a former vice president for HR at LinkedIn, and when he first when he first uh, joined the company, I mean, he said to the founder, um, you know, "What sort of culture do you want me to create?" And he articulated some sorts of cultures, and he said, "No, you've got it wrong. What you need to do is you need to create the culture that the people we're wanting to attract want. That's the culture you need to exactly. create." Exactly. Uh, and I think that was quite uh, quite profound. So we, we've um, we've taught this this sense of belonging and finding where mm-hmm. you belong is, is is important. Another um, principle that you shared with me that I think is a very important one is the principle of um, putting your best self forward. How do we do that? What does that What does that mean? How do we do it? That's a that's a really again. These I think these are really profound questions. Putting your best self forward. So so for example. Um, uh, I, I go back to thinking about genomic health as one of my life experiences where I was uh, consulting with, with another um, uh, high-tech company in the genomics field, and um, I was asked to join as a, as a co-founder of genomic health, and the choice to do that had to do with vision and purpose. So that was uh, the, the, C, the, the founding CEO and myself agreed we wanted to create a company that had a dynamic people-centered culture. He had never been successful at that, and that's why he asked me to join. That was my passion. And so the, that, that combination of purpose and passion really led me to invest you know, all of myself in creating the culture in, in the company. And so the, the whole thing about alignment was one of the aspects, one of our four core values was truth-seeking. So we're a scientific company and scientists seek truth. But we also committed throughout the culture in, in every area to, to the truth of our relationships with one another. So, for example, our, our performance reviews, giving feedback became integral to um, the culture. And our employees just learned how to integrate it, whereas that's not normal. I mean, normally you resist it. And that, that performance management is not the easiest task in an organization. And what that then allowed us to do is this other focus. I mean, and you can hear me going through the best self model, but the other focus was how do we how do we create an environment where the very best of our employees could express themselves? And um, you know that meant that we had to deal with conflict. Um, so we did not avoid conflict. We went straight to the heart of the company. When, when employees had problems with each other, when we had to, we actually had to fire a couple of people. When we had to fire them, we went to them. We didn't. We didn't. We said, pay attention to the first signals, the first signs that something's not going right, and go for it. And we did. And and so we created a culture where that kind of feedback and that kind of openness to the other, and and desire that the other really be in the best situated to be successful. Um, became part of the culture. And then finally, this openness that we talk about, it was like, you know, are we willing to, to talk about the tough questions? And if I just make a little jump here, that, that is core to what Leaders Quest is all about, is that we are a container 
for enabling um, people of very different worldviews, very different life experiences to come together and to come from their authentic self to experience what is it like to have dialogue with someone who is totally counterposed to you. You know, if, I, my reference for that is we, we had a, we had a died in the wool capitalist and we had a died in the wool Marxist on a quest and we held space for them to have a conversation they had never had before with anybody. And that is characteristic of what we want to do in Leaders Quest because we want to create a world where people will honor one another, see their common humanity, and out of that really release the potential of people to be fully who they're capable of being. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think one of the things I really took from experience in a quest as well is you can, you know, you can really, uh, to your great detriment, you can underestimate people from different parts of the world and different social stratas because maybe they they come from countries that are maybe you know a little bit poorer than your own or. Um, but actually, uh, you know, people are people and, uh, you can learn a huge amount from everybody and, and anyone. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, it's important. I think that people really do appreciate that, that, uh, ideas don't just come from a CEO and the top, they can come from anybody, good, mm-hmm. good ideas. And, um, you, you end up, you know, that, that, that with a common connection, I think you realize that you have a connection with, with most people. That's exactly right. So we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we'll talk a little bit more about this, um, you know, put the sort of some factors to think about, about putting your best self forward. Then we've got another principle that we want to share before we uh, we sort of uh, move towards the end of the interview. So we'll we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Uh, Do join us after the break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. 
Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Eugene uh, Early. We're talking about best self-leadership and covered lots of things before the break. And we, we were talking about putting our best selves forward. And uh, you know, I wonder if uh, putting your best self forward is really about you know doing the you know the right thing when it's ne- when it's needed. Um, it's just an interpretation I've gained from the conversation. But what what do we really need to know to ensure that we really are doing this, Gene? That what do we need to know that we're doing that we're living of our best self? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's again another another great question. I think uh, I think the key to that is that we get to know ourselves, and so this self awareness, the level of self awareness. Um, in order to live from your best best self is is really critical, and one of the one of the I mean there's a there are many many dimensions to this, but one of the ones you and I talked about, which I think is fascinating, is this this whole our relationship to failure. Um, so with self awareness, we get to choose, and and to me this is this is the definition of being an adult. You know, I, I realized actually in talking to my mother. Um, when I asked her this question, what does it mean to be an adult? And she didn't have an answer, but what she did have was an incredible question, which was, what do you think it means? <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> you know, the way she said it, I had to answer it. And, and so I really dug deep and, and I got, I did, I got a very clear answer, which is for me, which is, um, what it means is that, uh, every, every thought, every word, every action, that I engage in is my choice, whether that's a conscious or unconscious um, thought, uh, word, or action. Um, and so a, being an adult is all about taking responsibility for every choice of your life, which is every experience you have and every response to every experience that you have. And so that, I think, that in order to be your best self, you got to do that. You know, and if you're not willing to take personal responsibility, then you're going to be your your accommodate itself. Uh, and the specific example that we talked about it, it with regard to that is failure. I, I, I was on a quest in uh, Kuala Lumpur and um, met the most incredible host. He's a young guy, Johnson uh, Ole, who, um, who is the CEO of Epic Homes. And basically, he, his dad died when he was 13. So my dad died when I was 12. So there's a real identification there. But we had a lot of points in common. But but he went through a really dark period following following his dad's death, and so he didn't do well in school and whatever whatnot. And his mother was working hard to put her three boys, you know, through school, and and he was just playing around, partying, and not doing anything. And when he went to apply for university, uh, he was denied entrance, and he was suddenly hit with the reality that he had failed his mother, and he had failed himself. And that he wasn't going to be able to do anything. I mean, he, he, he thought his life had ended. And he knew he had to tell his mother. So he went home, just fear and trembling. And he, and he told his mother, he said, you know, I failed. And her response was, great, let's celebrate. And she took him out to this exclusive Japanese restaurant for sushi. And he's going, what just happened to me? My mom is authentically saying, let's celebrate my failure. And the whole idea that she was was communicating to him was, listen, you're going to learn more from this than from any success you've ever had. And that turned him around. And, you know, one thing led to another to another. And now he's kind of, 
you know, one of these you know, young leaders under 30 who's, who's making a difference in the world. And he's, his epic homes, they're making homes for marginalized uh, people from a, a, a tribe, a, a forest tribe in Malaysia that's been moved out by the government. And he's building homes. He's got, he's got companies coming in for three-day things where they build an entire home in three days. And they work with the family. And it's like, and it's like celebrate failure because it transformed your life. Wow. And that, that has been a really powerful phrase for me because um, recognizing that, that so much of our life we, we have failures. And for me, I mean, it's particularly relevant to me because there were many years where I told myself I had never failed about anything. You know, I was confronted by this friend of mine and she, the look on her face when I said it to her was like so convicting. But it was like, what are you talking about? And I realized, you know, I had not been I had not been in reality. I'd either been avoiding a situation where I might fail or I'd been denying that I had failed. And uh, that that was a transformational moment for me there. And then this many, many others like that, where failure just becomes feedback. Um, it's it's not the end of the world. And one of the things I learned in, in Silicon Valley was you're not an experienced CEO until you failed once. Right. So it's part of the culture in, in Silicon Valley. And I went, oh, I've come home. I've come home. This is exactly right. A community that says yes to learn from your failures so that you grow and, and, and become and become your best self. And don't limit yourself because you made a mistake or because you failed or because you felt shame because you thought somebody's going to reject you. You know, being able to, to pass through all that uh, baggage that we put on ourselves and come out the other side, then you can be your best self. So just to do a lot of, you know, a lot of systems then need to change. You know, I think about education, for example, and it's education. Um, I think failure is uh, as an education, as in your example, um, but it's based upon, you know, people striving to pass exams and uh, yeah. you know, the grades you get determine your, you know, your I can impact your future, but it, it make you decide whether you're successful or not. And they, they have a there's an emotional link with success, a feeling happy and delighted mm -hmm. and enjoyed. While while failure, the, the automatic response is to feel disappointed, dejected, um, and uh, and therefore, but we've got this whole these systems that are built upon, you yep. know, get, get succeeding, getting to the top, blah mm -hmm. blah. So, so do we need to really look at that? Uh, oh, and and change our approach to. Well, this is an attitude in many different areas. This is where Brene Brown's book and research is so significant for best self, because what great leaders transform themselves first. You lead from inside. You don't. You don't lead from the outside. Leading from the outside is is if you take the best self model. That's where you're externally directed. You're not internally directed, and you know that is not best self, right? So um, the whole idea about there's a system that needs transforming. Well, how do we do that? We, you know, we, we can, you see people doing it all the time, making lots of effort and being frustrated because the system has a life of its own and the system doesn't want to change. The system wants to maintain homeostasis. So what do you do? What you do is you take that personal responsibility of choice and you say, who am I in the system? You know, and am I fitting in or am I transforming it? Because if, if I take personal responsibility, I will transform some aspect of the system. And depending on how large it is, how bureaucratic it is, uh, and how many other people I can attract to be part of my tribe or my community, I will transform the system. 
Now, that you may, you may find that that's impossible, and and this you know many 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 people today feel powerless in the face of these large systems. But the thing is that we're not powerless; we're powerful, and that begins with with yourself and discovering your power within yourself, not de- not depending on someone else to tell you you're powerful or to empower you from the outside, but rather to discover that power within yourself, which is your authentic and best self. So you do that. That's the first thing. Second thing is you find one relationship that where you get agreement, where this person is agreeing with the essential you, the, your best self, and you are agreeing with the essential them and their best self. And so that relationship then becomes the foundation for creating, you know, circles of influence around you. And as you begin to expand out, you will find remarkable things start to happen. You know, there's, there's a great book, which I, I recommend to anybody. It's called The Passion Test. Uh, it's by uh, um, Janet and Chris Atwood. Um, and it's, it's a very simple process, but it's identifying, for example, they, they talk about the relationship between passion and purpose. Um, and that, that, you know, purpose in a way is kind of often a head thing where passion is a heart thing. Put those two together, right? And you identify what are your five top passions. And then you kind of work through them and say, what are the markers of those passions? And then what are, what action can I take that will, um, move me toward fulfilling that passion today in this context? So it's a pretty simple model, but great examples and a real inspiration around, who, who you can be when you attach passion and purpose together. Um, and so that is how systems get transformed. You know, the, you know, the, there's this great movie called the state of siege with Denzel Washington, which is he's, he's investigating a, a terrorist attack and he's talking to this, this woman who's a liaison with FBI uh, between the terrorist and the FBI. And he, and he says to them, says to her, you know, the most committed win, and in the context of terrorism, is like, oh, okay, I get it. But it's not just there, it's the structure of commitment. When you're committed like that, you will transform whatever you set your mind to. And so you don't know how you're going to do it when you start, and that's leadership. But once you set your mind in, with that kind of commitment, with that passion, purpose clarified, and having clear action to go forward, there's nothing that can stop you except yourself. Yeah, great. We've got, only got a few minutes, probably five minutes left till the end of the interview now. And uh, I want to just, um, we talked about failure there. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. You know, in terms of being your best self, mm-hmm. um, should you, where, you know, you know relationships fail and uh, business relationships fail, yeah. how important, and we can sometimes harbor that for a long time, how important is reconciliation? Oh, I think it's, you know, for me, it's core. You know, the thing about it is I'm responsible for the reconciliation and one of the things that I took out of this experience in Kuala Lumpur was, was, was actually I, I created a sequence for myself, which was, you know, I had, the, I had, I had the experience with uh, Johnson and his mother, and that really gave me an insight. But that insight needed to be translated into action. So I, I thought about it and I said, what? How can I? How can I apply that to myself? And my answer to it was, there are people that I need to be reconciled with. There are people that I've written off because of my judgment of them. And that was a choice I made at a certain point, but it's also a choice to maintain the distance. And I decided the application, which is the third step in this process, that was to, to reach out to them and to say, listen, I, I know that I've cut you off and you know, I just you know, asked for forgiveness 
and acknowledge that you know I you know acknowledge my part in uh, in the distance and in the the disconnect, and just honor that person for who they are. I mean, which recognizing that that our behavior and who we are don't always align, you know, and so being able to see that person for who they were. So so I started with the most difficult uh, one in my life that had been years in which I had avoided him. Um, and I went back to him and we reconciled and I feel, I felt such freedom and such a relief. And so then, then the fourth step is feedback and go, Oh wow, I've done that. look what's happened. That's really great. I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that. Right. And so as I did more of that, reaching out to other people, the integration began to happen and it become that form of reconciliation um, has just deepened within me. I, I've known about it. I've done it in, in measure in my life, but I've really integrated as core to Fantastic. to who I am. And so, yeah, Gene, we've got I've got we've got to finish now. Actually, um, what we're going to do is we're going to put Gene's uh, mention a few resources. Uh, so what I'll do is um, liaise with Gene, and we'll put if you go to chriscooper.co.uk and look at the blog post, I'll put a link in there to some resources uh, that because Gene's got loads that he recommends that we look at and read. Gene, um, I wonder, do you have a final message very quickly that you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, my final message would be, you know, you need to take care of yourself. Um, start with yourself. And self-care is incredible. It's partly what we're talking about in terms of the resources. And that's, that's you know, the food you eat, the sleep you get, the, the energy work you do, the being aware, for example, of, of the toxic influences that we live in today because we're in a very toxic world, kind of chemically and electromagnetically and stuff like that. Um, pay attention to your thought processes and how your internal um, thoughts influence your your perception and your behavior and then i just say at a spiritual level you know get tuned in you know become aware of the spiritual dimension of life um, because that is a source of life for all of us fantastic james been an absolute pleasure talking to you thanks so much for joining us today fabulous thank you so much you're very welcome. For more information about uh, Leaders Quest, you can go to leadersquest.org. I'm sure you can also find uh, Gene on, on places like LinkedIn and, mm-hmm. and connect with him that way uh, as well, if you want to. And we'll put um, some resources for you on the on the blog post, and we'll make those sorts of things available. On next week's show, we've got Mike Mooney. Mike is a former um, vice president of uh, Roche Fenway, um, uh, the motor racing um, organization he's written a book on reputation called reputation shift uh, mike's been a great guest before and we're going to talk to him again next week so do join us then wish you all well and any questions comments send them to chris at chriscooper.co.uk and do connect him with the leaders quest organization as well because they're fascinating um, so we'll be back again with you next week and uh, thank you We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.